Welcome to the Gospel Saves podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. I'm Wade Stanley, an evangelist with the Church of Christ. Please visit thegospelsaves.me for blogs, videos, and Bible studies. You can also find The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. It's easy to think of the Bible as a book that tells us what we should not do. That's certainly understandable. One of the purposes of the Word of God is to identify and define sin. For that reason, the Bible is filled with thou shall not commands that not only tell us what is wrong, but also warn us about the consequences for those sins. So when we read the Bible, we should expect to find restrictions, rules, and regulations. But if you think that's all the Bible is, a rule book that tells us what we can't do, then you're mistaken. Accompanying the many thou shall not commands is a large number of thou shall commands, instructions that tell us how we should live. Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yes, scripture does correct us and reprove us for wrong conduct by pointing out sin, but it also instructs us in righteousness and equips us for every good work. For all of the occasions we are told to not do, there are many occasions when God tells us to do. For the purposes of this study, I have chosen five thou shall commands. But before we get into this, please help me out. I want the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach as many people as possible. If you're watching this video on YouTube, please subscribe and tap the bell icon to receive updates when I upload new content. If you're listening to the Gospel Saves podcast on Apple or Spotify, please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating and writing a review. When you do one of those simple things, you help those big tech algorithms notice the Gospel Saves content. I can't do this without your help, so please help me preach the good news of Jesus to as many people as possible. Okay, let's talk about five thou shall commands. Command number one, you shall love your enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges us to raise our level of love. Loving those who love us is something anyone can do. What separates the followers of Christ from others is our commitment to loving those who hate us. Loving our enemies means seeking what is best for them, regardless of how we feel about them. Our enemies may persecute us, treat us harshly, or abuse us, and such treatment may create a lot of emotions and feelings inside of us. Regardless of how we feel, Jesus tells us to bless, to do good, and pray for them. He points to the example of God the Father who makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends his reign on the just and the unjust. God does good even toward those who do not believe in him, who hate him, who rebel against him. 
If we want to be his children, we must do likewise, pursuing the perfection exemplified by God the Father. You shall love your enemies. Command number two, you shall remember the Lord's death until he comes. Paul reminded the Corinthians of what Jesus instituted after he shared his last Passover meal with his disciples. And when he had given thanks, Jesus broke the bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 1 Corinthians 11, 24-26 The Lord's Supper, or sometimes called communion, is a ceremonial meal eaten by the church. The bread represents the body of Jesus, which he sacrificed on the cross for our sins. The fruit of the vine, or grape juice or wine, represents the blood Jesus shed for the remission of our sins. Although it requires a little bit of digging, it does appear the first century church got together every Sunday to eat this meal together. The church in Troas assembled on the first day of the week to break the bread, Acts 20, verse 7. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul seems to imply that keeping the Lord's Supper was the reason why the Corinthian church got together regularly. Thus, the Lord's Supper is a community meal eaten by the church when we are together. Jesus says we eat and drink in order to remember him. We remember the terrible sacrifice he gave as he willingly subjected himself to torture, public humiliation, and death by crucifixion. And we remember the reasons why this sacrifice was necessary. We accept personal responsibility for his death by remembering the sins we committed. It is a sobering ceremony that serves as an important touchstone for the church from week to week. And it's a ceremony we should keep until Jesus returns— as Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You shall remember the Lord's death until he comes. Command number three, you shall present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Earlier, I mentioned the mistaken impression held by many that the Bible is just a book that tells us what we can't do. It's true that the Bible does define sin and warns us about the consequences for sin, but it also gives us a sense of why we should keep ourselves from sin. And the reason why we should pursue purity goes beyond sin is wrong. In the book of Romans, Paul depicts the body as a weakness exploited by sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Later in Romans 7, verses 23 and 24, Paul says, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, the body is not inherently evil. The body is inherently weak. 
As Jesus said to his disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thus we are called to sacrifice our body with its desires to a higher purpose. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Romans 6.13 Resisting temptation and avoiding sin by using our bodies as an instrument of righteousness is a higher calling that serves an eternal purpose. You shall present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Command number four. You shall honor your father and mother. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. American culture is oriented toward youth. We celebrate youth and vitality and everything from health and beauty to social justice causes. And certainly aspects of youthfulness should be celebrated and admired. Jesus said to his disciples, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Mark 10, 14 and 15. However, even though we should admire and imitate some virtues of youthfulness, children are also called to obey and to honor their parents. To be frank, the wickedness and cruelty and foolishness of some parents makes this a difficult command to keep for too many people. Regardless, God does issue the command and offers a reason why. A culture that values the honoring of parents stands a greater chance of securing long-term social stability. In contrast, Paul says perilous times will be characterized by children who are disobedient to parents, 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. Again, I don't think Scripture is being naive about the harms and hurts done to children by negligent and abusive parents. I'm reminded of the warnings of Jesus about causing little ones who believe in him to stumble. It would be better for the offenders to drown themselves in the sea. God is well aware of the world's cruelty and vows to avenge the victims of abuse. However, this does not alter the warning of Scripture. A general spirit of rebellion among the young carries with it significant downstream consequences for society. Thus, it is God's will for all of us to honor our fathers and mothers. Command number five, you shall bear with one another. In Colossians 3, 12 and 13, Paul says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave, so you also must do. Anyone who believes Christians are perfect is sadly mistaken. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. John warns Christians, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1.8 Because Christians are not immune from error, we must learn how to bear with the weaknesses of one another. 
In Colossians 3.12, Paul highlights several virtues we will need to bear with one another. To bear with one another, we must put on tender mercies, compassion, feeling sympathy and empathy and pity for one another. To bear with one another, we must be kind. The ancient world defined this word as the virtue of the man whose neighbor's good is as dear to him as his own. To bear with one another, we must be humble. If I consider myself to be superior to others, then I will grow impatient with their mistakes and their foibles. To bear with one another, we must be meek. A gentle and lowly and sweet spirit helps us to bear with each other. And finally, to bear with one another, we must be long-suffering. We must have a level of patience that is willing to suffer the slights and insults and thoughtlessnesses that is a part of human interactions. Finally, to bear with one another, we must remember that we have been forgiven. God forgave me, his enemy, out of his grace and mercy. He expects me to do likewise. You shall bear with one another. As I draw this to a close, let me leave you with a few key thoughts. The Bible does define things we should not do, but of equal importance are the things it tells us to do. God wants us to love our enemies as he loves his enemies. Christ tells the church to regularly eat bread and drink the fruit of the vine as a memorial of his death. Just as Jesus denied himself and took up his cross, we are called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. For the good of our society, we should honor our fathers and mothers. And because God bears with us, we should bear with one another. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will.